Hello, everybody. Good morning. For those of you who don't know me, my name is Amanda. I am the associate pastor here at Midtown. Our lead pastors, Alex and Cassie, are actually at another church this morning. They're guest speaking. They're so sorry they can't be here with all of us. So come back next week so you can meet them if you're new. Um, I have the pleasure of continuing our summer series through the Psalms. Um, we are learning about praying through the Psalms. So as a reminder to start, there are three things to keep in mind about the book of Psalms. Psalms. First of all, it's composed of 150 Hebrew poems. So it is a book of poems, and 73 of them were written by King David. Second of all, scholars say that Psalms are broken into five sections. There's a beginning, introduction, and an end, and those ending chapters are actually Psalms of praise. Third, lament and praise are the main expressions that we see in the Psalms. Lament is an appropriate response to the world and the pain that we see. And praise is a great expression of joy and celebration of the goodness of God. And today we're going to be looking at Psalms 8, which is actually a psalm of praise. And it is actually found in book one of the five book series. And it's sandwiched between chapters three and seven, which we find David calling out for deliverance in his powerlessness. He's on the run for his life and he's calling out to God for deliverance. And then it's followed by chapters nine through 14, where we actually see David communing with the poor and the afflicted. And he's calling for vindication. And the reason that this is important, that a psalm of praise is sandwiched between those, between these two disparities, is because it helps us understand that it's the poor and the afflicted ones that are chosen to rule this world. It's a pretty special thing. And this realization that humans are called and chosen to rule this world is what David is sitting in awe of. And it causes him to proclaim to God and praise him it causes him to pause and look at everything that God has made, his creation. And I don't know about you guys, but I'm a pretty big uh, fan of creation. I love stargazing, moon, stars. It's always the evening. You know, the sun's great, but it will burn you. So not so much fun. But the moon and the stars, so much fun. And when I think about the moon and the stars, I come back to like two memories that are really distinct in my mind. Both of them happened to be from my time in Israel when I was studying the Holy Land. And the first one, I remember going to a Bedouin camp. So this is like, think John the Baptist in the wilderness. You got nomadic people living in the desert, picking up their tents, moving around. And it's just me, my group, our lovely hosts who are teaching us how to live in the desert and survive. And it's darkness and nothing for just miles. And I step outside my tent and I look up and I just think, dear God, I hope no animal eats me tonight. And I hope no scorpion enters my sleeping bag. Really though, I was really afraid of the scorpions. But thankfully no scorpion ate me. And after I got past all of that, I was so enamored by the stars. They were so numerous out in the desert, it actually felt like we had electricity. It was so bright. And I just remember pausing and thinking, whoa, okay, God, no need to show off. There's a God up there who's thinking about this, who created this with such intricate detail, and it's amazing to see it. 
And the second memory that I have is that of a big red moon. Now, I don't actually know that it was a blood moon, per se, but I do know that it was giant, and it was red, and it took up everything. I landed in Tel Aviv, and as we were leaving the airport, um, it was, the moon was rising, and all you could see for miles was this giant red moon. And it felt so close, I felt like I could just reach out and touch it. It was that large. And I was like, I have never seen anything like this. And I love the moon and the stars. They always just have this ability to like make me feel so small, but like in a good way. I don't feel terrible about it, but I'm just like, whoa, this universe is pretty big. The world that we live in is pretty giant. And it humbles me and reminds me of how big the universe that we live in is and brings me some perspective whenever I'm overwhelmed with life's problems. And I think it's that aspect of creation that really draws us into astrology and our desire to touch the infinite by looking at creation. But as Christian believers, we aren't looking to creation for wisdom on life, but it's actually creation pointing us back to the grandeur of God, the creator, that we look at creation for. And while I call myself a stargazing fanatic, I really don't get to practice it too much. I don't know if you knew, but we live in a city and it's a little hard to see the stars, but I do love to also see the city lights. They're my second favorite. I love going to the World War I Memorial at night, seeing the skyline, seeing all the pretty lights. It just brings me so much joy. And if I'm being honest, even though the city lights are a great second, it actually more so points me to man's creation than it does to God's. And if we're honest, the city lights aren't the only thing that are keeping us from appreciating God's creation. Some of us might even say we hate nature altogether. We are not outdoorsy people. We need the AC. Leave me in my building. I am fine. But today I argue that an appreciation for nature and creation is required to understand the majesty of God and our role in creation as beings created in the image of God. So today we're going to take some time to appreciate creation, appreciate nature, and we're going to look at the God that it points us to. And we're also going to take some time to see what that means for us. What does that mean for us as created beings in the image of God? So today we look at the majesty and glory of God. Psalms 8 opens up with the words, our, O Lord, our Lord. And in Hebrew, these lords are actually two different words. And they can better be translated as, O Yahweh, our Adonai. And this tells us so much about who it is that we're praying to, who it is that we're crying out to. The name Yahweh is significant because it's God's proper and personal name that was given to Israel as he brought them out of Egypt. The word is seen to describe God as creator, the unchangeable one, and as given to Moses in Exodus 3.14, I am who I am. And this expresses that God is existent in and of himself. The name Yahweh reveals God to mankind as the majestic, all-powerful, self-sufficient creator. But he's personal. He knows us and he desires to be known by us personally. And the significance of the second Lord here 
translated as Adonai, meaning king. This is important because God is more than just a self-sufficient creator, but he is king of the universe and king of our life. So with this in mind, as we study this particular psalm of praise, let's take the time to ponder and join David in his praise of Yahweh our Adonai. God's majesty is impressive, and his power is intimidating, and we can see that all throughout creation. Psalm 65, 5 through 8 says that God, by God's strength, he establishes the mountains. He stills the roaring seas so that all who dwell on earth are in awe. The Psalms have a lot to tell us about what creation says about God. First, we see that the creation itself praises God. Psalms 19.1 says, the heavens declare the glory of God. Elsewhere in the Psalms, we see that the fields exalt him. Forests sing for joy, seas roar, rivers clap, hills sing. All of creation praises God. Second, we learn that all things originate with God. The Psalms say that all things were created by the breath of his mouth. Lastly, the Psalms teach us that creation tells of the wisdom, love, and power of God. So let's take some time to look at creation and see if we can uh, see what the psalmists are talking about. I'm going to share a little information with you guys from our friends over at NASA. They're pretty cool. Um, if you decide to geek out on this later, um, I definitely suggest you go and check out NASA's uh, new web telescope. They have some cool pictures, cool things that are happening there. It's really incredible. So go geek out on it later. Um, and if you've never seen Louis Giglio's indescribable video, strongly suggest you do. It will increase your sense of awe of creation and God. Um, I'm only going to share a little bit of it today, so I promise I won't be spoiling anything if you go check that out. But I want to show you guys a picture of our galaxy. In case you didn't know, we live in the Milky Way, and this is what it looks like. It's pretty cool. Kind of looks like a UFO, but it's not. That's our galaxy. And a couple fun facts about it is it's 100,000 light years across, which means that it would take 1.7 billion years to traverse the whole thing. And that's at the speed of 186,282 miles per second, the speed of light, in case anybody didn't know. In other words, the Milky Way is really, really big. And there are so many stars. There's hundreds of billions of stars that make up the Milky Way galaxy. So much so that if you count one star per second, it's going to take you more than 3,000 years to count them. We would die. And then our grandkids would die counting them. And it would just keep going. And just to get a picture of how big the Milky Way is in comparison to our little solar system in it, our solar system would be the size of a quarter, and the Milky Way would be that of the North American continent, which makes all of us tiny specks of dust on a quarter. Our lives are just a blimp on the timeline and radar of history. Neil Armstrong, on his way back from Apollo 11 from the moon, he says this, he said, suddenly it struck me that that tiny pea, pretty and blue, was the Earth. I put my thumb up and I shut one eye and my thumb blotted out the planet Earth. I didn't feel like a giant. I felt very, very small. God does not think like we think. 
He is much bigger than anything that we have ever witnessed. That picture of the Milky Way blows my mind. I'm like, I can't even fathom what it would be like to be in space and see that. I don't think I would survive to be able to see it. But if I could, I can't fathom how big that is. And But not only God is very, very big, but we are very, very small. Yet the creator of the universe, the one who spoke the world into existence, knows us by name down to every number of hairs on your head. It's incredible. In this picture of Earth, that was up there, um, a few of us, no, very few of us, would have been alive whenever this picture was first seen. So I think most of us grew up just being shown the picture of Earth. We're like, yeah, that's cool. It's a cool planet we live on. But can you imagine what it was like the first time that you ever saw the planet that you live on? How incredibly cool and magnificent that is. I mean, look at it. It's kind of gorgeous. It kind of just looks like a cloud and some water. See a little peak? I think that might be Africa. I don't know. I'm bad at geography, y'all. But the Earth is amazing. And if you take a moment to look at it as if it was the first time you had ever seen it, the first time humanity had ever seen it, you can't help but be in awe a little bit. Like, whoa, that's our neighborhood in the Milky Way galaxy. It's where we live. And even more incredible is the precision in the placement of Earth in our solar system that makes it habitable. We're around 93 million miles away from the sun, but that's just far enough that we're not gonna melt, but also not too far so we're gonna freeze. We're exactly where we need to be. Kind of, you know. But we all have the right chemicals on Earth to sustain life, one of those being water. It's essential to human life, to life in general. And we have vast oceans and vast amounts of water to sustain life. God is intense in power and splendor, and he created every detail of who we are and where we live so that we can have life and have it abundantly. That's who we worship. And it makes me think of this question that Louis Giglio poses. He says, what if the primary purpose of the universe wasn't just a home for us, but to show off the glory and splendor of God? I think it does that. I think it does that pretty well. Author W. David O. Taylor says this about creation. He says, creation invites us to participate in its joy in God. And giving ourselves willingly to this joy, we discover our true purpose as creatures made in the joyful image of God. To faithfully reflect the divine image in all contexts of our created life as royal representatives of our creator king. Nature certainly speaks of the existence of God, but I have to admit, doesn't tell us much about our purpose. It can invoke some awe and some wonder, it can point us to the fact that there's a God out there, but it can also make us feel a little insignificant, if we're honest. 
And just as Neil Armstrong pondered his insignificance coming back to earth, David is pondering his insignificance in the presence of God here in Psalm 8. And I have to admit, I'm with him on this. I'm with both of them. I've had moments of feeling insignificant. Humans are among the tiniest fragments of creatures in the universe. So how could we be significant to the God of the universe, nonetheless be told that we are to share in the reign of creation? That seems wild. And the question leaves me confused and feeling powerless at times. Have you ever felt powerless? There are many times in my life that I felt powerless. As a young child, I felt powerless to the adults in my life and the decisions that they are making that impacted me. As an adult, I've felt powerless to illness. The doctors who may or may not be listening and may or may not have a clue what's wrong. I feel powerless to the injustices in society. And I feel powerless to the brokenness that surrounds me. There's so much in this world that makes us feel powerless. And powerlessness can stir up all sorts of emotions in us, but our body really has two responses. We either fight or we flight. Sometimes we flee from the powers that are overtaking us, and sometimes we bulk up and fight. And this same reaction happens when we feel powerless in our relationship with God. We either turn to fight him or we run away. In moments of powerlessness, we can run towards God or run away from him. But let me tell you, if you choose to run away from God, you're breeding hopelessness and pride in your life. But if you choose to run towards God, you're going to breed healing and praise in your life. We should not allow ourselves to feel so powerless and insignificant that we feel hopeless. Because God loves using weak people. We can make God's majesty known on this earth through our weaknesses. Notice I said through our weaknesses, not our perfection. Someone needs to hear that. We don't make God known through our perfection. We don't have to make everything pretty and tie it with a bow, but we make him known through our weaknesses. God's glory is on display through weak people that he chooses to do great things. We see in verse 2 of today's passage that David says God defeats his enemies and makes his name majestic through using our weaknesses, even that of babies. Shout out to all the moms. Seriously, all of the time spent serving and teaching our children has eternal purpose. And as you teach them to praise, God is establishing his strength in this world through your children. So be encouraged. God is using your babies to tell of his glory and goodness. He uses babies, but he also uses everyone else. The entirety of David's life is proof and example of God using weak people. David was a mere shepherd boy, the smallest of all of his siblings, yet God singled him out and said, you get to be king. Yet even while he was waiting to be king, he was on the run, suffering. Yet in the midst of his suffering, we see David write this psalm of praise. And even still, Jesus 
And the incarnation is the greatest example of God's transcendent power being used through the weakness of humanity. Verses 6 and 7 of today's passage are also given Christological significance, so significance about Christ in our lives, pointing to the dominion of Christ in his resurrection and his exaltation. This is significance because it's in Christ's victory that we too have victory. Jesus shared in our humanity so that we could share in his righteousness. 2 Corinthians 5 verse 21 says, For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, that in him we might become the righteousness of God. We must pause to dwell and think of the power of God and be humbled as David was. And together with David, we say, who is man that you are mindful of him? Well, I'll tell you who scripture and God says that we are. Just give you a little reminder. Scripture says that we are made in God's image. That we are children of God and co-heirs with Christ. Some of you in this room have heard this so many times, it doesn't have meaning to you anymore, but I want you to realize the meaning it has. You are made in God's image. You are a child of God and you are a co-heir with Christ. God has bestowed all of us with dignity and dominion. We have dignity through our position as children of God created in his image. Human dignity is an inerrant right that we all have. Because we were made in the image of God, we all have dignity. So we should all value all life. If survival of the fittest was a thing, we wouldn't have to care about one another. It would be you versus me, I'm looking out for me, standing on my own. But the Bible says that we are supposed to care for one another, that we were meant to live in community. John 15, 12 says, this is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. The way that Jesus loved us was with a sacrificial, perfect, unconditional love. Now, don't get me wrong, we're human, so we can't quite achieve that, but as humans, we can come before God and surrender our hearts and we can ask God to continually be molding ourselves after him so that we can continually love one another better. Human dignity isn't cherished in this world as it was meant to be. But Jesus taught us a couple things about sharing in our God-given dignity. Jesus teaches us that peace comes through self-giving love. He teaches us that all are made in God's image, so there is no superiority here. There's no superior tribe, race, ethnicity, or social position. We are all made in God's image. And Jesus teaches us that real power requires sacrifice and generosity, not force. That's what it means to live in our God-given dignity. And because we are made in the image of God, we also share in God's dominion. Psalms 8 verse 6 says, You have given him dominion over the work of your hands. According to scripture, to have dominion is to share in the expansion and extension of creation through procreation and seeking the shalom or the well-being of your neighbor. We share dominion 
over creation for God's sake. We have dominion in his name, so we must be good stewards. This is not ours, but it's God's. Author W. David O. Taylor summarizes dominion in this way. He says, our royal dominion, therefore, is qualified by our priestly calling to offer the things of God in love to all of creation and in turn offer all the things of creation back to God in love. And when reviewing man's role in dominion, we can and we should be looking at the Garden of Eden and what happened. Adam and Eve's failure to exercise dominion over the serpent allowed sin to enter this world. We were created with a purpose, but when that got messed up in the Garden of Eden, Jesus died to restore our purpose, that we could have life and have it abundantly. And now we get to share in Christ's victory over sin and death. We perceive all of creation through him. Creation is an expression of the grace of God. And Jesus is the new humanity that we are called to become. Taylor, Taylor continues to sum up our God-given purpose this way. He says, to live with a life marked by joyful praise, wonder-filled thanksgiving, care-filled stewardship of creation, hopeful work of restoration and reconciliation, gracious communion with others, and faithful living. That's our purpose. We serve a mighty God, creator of heaven and earth. And while we may be small, we are greatly loved and chosen to share in dignity and dominion with God. God's glorified through our weaknesses and he establishes his strength in weak people by preparing us in praise. And that's exactly what our response should be today is praise. Just as David in the midst of his struggle paused to praise God and be in awe of God's majesty, so should we. David dwelt not on his circumstances in this moment, but let's be honest, the Psalms give us plenty of examples that it's okay to pause and lament before God. There is so much room for that. But in this instance, David decides to dwell in the presence of God, be humbled by the grandeur of God, and shout out for praise. Worship requires us to have space and time to reflect. We have to give ourselves space to be humbled before God, time to contemplate his glory and power in our lives. Adam and Eve pursued eternal life on their own. They lacked humility, and they failed to reflect on God's glory or their purpose. And we too follow this same pattern and need humility. And humility grows as we pause to reflect on the grandeur of nature and the creator that it points us to. As we are humbled, we remember that we are small and weak beings invited to share in dignity and dominion with our King. And as we're humbled, we're led to praise. So how do we build a life of praise? Worship team, if you could join me back up here.
There are a lot of ways to increase praise in your life, but I'm only going to suggest two today. The first one's a fun one. It's called the game, the divine game of Pinzatsky. I don't know if anybody's heard of it. It was created by Arthur and Ellen Pinzatsky, and the rules of the game go like this. One person points out something in nature, and the other person has to say what that object says about God and why. I can imagine this would be really fun to play with kids, so if anyone has kids and plays this with them, please tell me stories, because I feel like this would be fun. Point out a mosquito, I want to know what they say it says about God and why. But the purpose and the fun of the game of Pinsatsky is that it helps us to pause and notice the things around us. It reminds us that we are created beings living in a created world. And when we pause to notice creation, it's going to point us back to our creator. And that will result in praise. Praise should be our reaction to the grandness of creation. The other way that we can build praise in our lives is to read one psalm a day. The psalms reframe our sense of life. And you might be saying, but Amanda, aren't there psalms of lament? How's that gonna build my praise? Let me tell you, you read a psalm of lament and you see God meet it, that will build praise in you. You have a good day and you make yourself read a psalm of lament and you're gonna notice the people around you mourning. Our habits form our hearts, guys. So I challenge you to make a habit of reading one psalm a day. Because when you read the psalms every day, toxic positivity and performance Christianity falls to the wayside. And all you're left with is your openness and your honesty before God. When you read a psalm a day, you learn to praise even when life is hell. You learn to mourn before God and before others. You learn what biblical community is. You learn that you can't be holy without being human first. And most importantly, you learn who God is and who he says you are. The poetry of the Psalms are meant to help us slow down and pay attention. Go beyond the obvious of a thing into the wonder of it. It helps us to see God, ourselves, our neighbors, this world through his eyes. Praying the Psalms is meant to be a self-examination, an honest and open conversation with God. And when you begin to be honest before God, it's the first step in allowing him to shape your heart after his. We pray the Psalms to teach ourselves how to be honest and share and surrender our feelings to God. I encourage you, go to the Psalms when you don't have the words to pray when you can't name the emotions or you feel too afraid to name that emotion before God because we just shouldn't. The Psalms teaches us that there's a place for that. So let's form habits that lead our heart to praise. Whether it's through a fun game of Pinzatsky or reading a Psalm a day, I challenge you to start 
taking the first step today in building a life of praise. Let's pray. God, I thank you that all of creation shouts your praise. I thank you for the many ways that you draw us deeper into your love. Even when we don't know it, even when we fight it. God, I'm thankful for your consistency. God, I pray that as we surrender ourselves to you, as we come before you open and honest, that we will be met with your mercy and your love. God, I pray that you would reveal yourself to all of us like you've never revealed yourself before. That as we begin to pause and notice the things around us, as we begin to read a psalm a day, Lord, that you would be so present in our lives and that you would help us to be an extension of your love. That God, we would be overflowing with dignity that we would be overflowing with dominion. God, that we would know that we are your stewards, small and weak, but greatly loved and chosen. God, we give you ourselves. We pray this in your name. Amen. We're gonna come before the table of the Lord, take communion. I welcome anyone who is hungry for more of Jesus to participate in this moment. And as we prepare to come before the table of the Lord, let's be quick to confess our sins because Jesus is quick to forgive. If you would join me saying this prayer, it'll be on the screen. Most merciful God, we confess that we have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed by what we have done and by what we have left undone. We have not loved you with our whole heart. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. We are truly sorry and we humbly repent. For the sake of your son, Jesus Christ, have mercy on us and forgive us, that we may delight in your will and walk in your ways to the glory of your name. listening to the Midtown Church Weekly Podcast. To find out more or to join a church gathering, check out our website at midtownkc.church.